invite you to turn me in your Bibles as we begin to our study this morning to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And this morning, the sermon is entitled Being Fully Known and Yet Fully Loved. Fully Known and Yet Fully Loved. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Now, this morning, my question is this. Why did people follow Jesus? Do you think they followed Jesus because they felt obligated to? Do you think that was the motive? He had remember thousands used to follow Jesus. Was it because they felt I feel obligated to follow this man? Was that how it was that we studied the Bible? No. Do you think they felt that we're gonna follow Jesus because we felt we had to? Like how some people say, I feel like I have to go to church. Do you think of that kind of attitude they had when they was, when they was following Jesus? Do you think of how the people felt? No. Well, it did, that wasn't the reason. The reason why they followed him because they were attracted to Jesus, right? Because, and they followed Jesus because they wanted to follow Jesus. Amen? It wasn't like a burden, an obligation, or I have to. They did it. They went they went to church. They did this and that for Jesus. They loved Jesus because they wanted to love and follow Jesus. How beautiful, amen? Now, my next question is then, what is it about Jesus that made the people want to follow Jesus? Isn't that a good question? Now, in a world today that feels that, even among Christians today, feel that they must use pressure, manipulation, guilt, shame to make your child come to church, reveals that somehow the church or Christians have lost its attractive power. Is that not true? Amen? The fact that we have to resort to maybe legislative laws to have Christian days to be forced upon the people to want keep, to keep Christian days or to worship on a certain day reveals that Christianity has somehow lost its alluring and attractive power that we have to resort to pressuring or force people to worship a God who really doesn't need force to be able to worship God. Is that, am I making it clear this morning? Amen? Amen? Should not Christianity be so beautiful so attractive, so alluring that we don't have to make our children feel guilty to want even to come to church. Is that not true, beloved? Amen? Could it be possible that since we have lost that attractiveness and alluring love of God within the churches and among ourselves, we are resorting to human manipulation and force and guilt to bring people to church? Is that true? And is that not a call for us to come back to truly loving God and seeing God for who he really is according to the word of God? Amen? Amen? So this morning as we open the word, may we see a true picture of who God really is. Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, help me and help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When did God love us? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Let's see what the Bible says. The Bible says, 
But God commend His love toward us in that while we were yet what? Sinners, Christ what? Died for us, loved us. Amen? It doesn't say when we were reformed. It doesn't say when we changed our life, then Christ loved us. It doesn't say that, right? In other words, while you were still messed up, while you still were in sin, God loved you and gave to you. Amen? And look at verse 10. The Bible says in verse 10 of chapter 5, For if we, when we were enemies, enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. In other words, when we were enemies of God, or when we hated God, in exchange for that hate, God gives us love. Isn't that beautiful? When we rejected God and hated God, his enemies of God, God still loves us, and he knows everything about us. He still loved us. Now turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. I know you know this text, but let's look at a couple of things. We're going to break it down this way. Please turn to me to John 3, verse 16. This is the most famous text in Christianity. But let's look at this text closely this morning. What happened before we believed? John 3, verse 16. The Bible says, for God so loved the what? World that he, he what? Gave his only begotten son that whomsoever, what's that word? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, God loves the world. Then he gave and he believed. When, when does God love us? Before we believe or after we believe? Do we have to believe first and then and no, what happens when you believe in God? What happens to your life? It becomes what? It's change, right? So in other words, you believe and then you're changed. When does God love us? Does, does God only love us when we believe and then we're changed and we're good only? According to this text, when? Ah, the Bible says, let's look at this text here. The Bible says clearly that God loved the world. God loves us first. Then the next thing it says, he gave. Second. So he gives his love, right? He reveals his love. And then after we see his love, it softens our heart. It attracts us, it allures. And because, only because we see and we're attracted to that, then we are to believe, beloved. Amen? And then because we believe, it transforms and changes our life. Is that not the gospel? Amen? You cannot believe and change unless you first see the love that God has this morning. That's clear. Let me hear you say amen. Amen? God's love for us. This morning. Now let's look at a few stories this morning. Turn to John chapter 4, verse 13. Let's look at the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 13. There's a woman at the well. And what did Christ say to this woman at the well? Notice the Bible says in 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to this woman, who was a Samaritan, by the way, whosoever drinks of this water that you're getting at this well will, what happened? Thirst again. You're going to get thirsty. You're going to crave for some more. Your heart's going to long for more. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, Jesus offered this water that you will never thirst again. Amen? That's what Jesus offered this woman. Now I want you to notice what happened. Look at verse 15. What did a woman then ask Jesus? The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come 
to draw. So give me this water because I want this water because I'm thirsting for something more. And notice what Jesus did. He just didn't give her the right answer in verse 16. He said, Jesus said unto her, go. Notice what he did. Call your what? Husband and come hither. In other words, call your husband. He He just didn't deal with her longing for something more. He had to go deep into the back recesses of her mind. He had to go where no one knew about her dark, dark secrets. He had to go where deep down into her, the deep sins of her life, of the life that she was living and her whole life before that. Notice what 17 says. The Bible says, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Now I want you to put yourself in the place of this woman. Can you imagine what she's thinking when Jesus said, go call your husband? She's probably thinking back to her whole life, how it used to be, and all her sinful lifestyle that she lived. And she's probably thinking in her mind, if you only knew how my life was and is, you probably wouldn't even be talking to me. I sent you a holy man, and if, I, if you only knew how I lived my life, you would not even be standing next to me. That's probably what she was thinking at this time. And notice what Jesus did in verse 18. He said, for you have had how many husbands? Five husbands. And he whom you now have is not your what? Husband. And that says thou truly. You see, she didn't want Jesus to know her background. She didn't want to talk about it. She said, she said, she said to him, um, I have no husband, which was true. But she didn't want to go back and tell the whole history of her lifestyle and what, what kind of life she's been in. She'd been married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced. And then the man she was currently living with and sleeping with was not her husband. She was living in sin, and she did not want that Jesus to know what was going on. Isn't that what we do? You know, everyone wants to be accepted and loved, right? And we don't want everyone to know everything about our dark selves that we may have because we want everyone to accept us and not to reject us. Because we know that people in the world, if they didn't know everything there is about us, and we put up our best friend when we come to church or we go to a party, right, because we want people to like us. And so this woman didn't want Jesus to know the dark sins of her life because he, she didn't want him to look down upon her and to like her. And so Jesus was the one that brought it out. And here's the thing. Jesus made to the woman that he knew everything he needed to know about her. In other words, Jesus knew all the dark sins of her life, and yet he still loved her. Amen? He knew everything about her life. He knew she had five husbands, five divorces. He, he knew she was living currently in sin, still yet in sin. He knew all these things, and yet he said, by his actions, you know the Samaritans and Jews hated each other, right? He shouldn't even be talking to her because of the prejudice that was there. But by him showing that he loved her, by talking to her, by accepting her, he revealed that he truly loved her. In other words, this woman realized in her heart that man, her man she was sleeping with, was number six, but Jesus was man number what? Seven. 
that this man number seven was a man to fulfill all the longings in her heart that she'd been looking for her whole life. Amen? What happened next? What was her testimony? Look at verse 29. The Bible says, she ran into town. In verse 29, she said, she said this, come, what's her message? What's her testimony? This is her testimony. Come see a man which told me what? All things that ever I did is not this the Christ. Come see a man. I want to show you this man, why he's so different from everyone else in the world. This is the difference. Here's a man that knows all, everything there is to know about me and all the sins that I'm currently doing, and yet he still loves me. Amen? You know, the world out there, you have to put on a front. You have to put on a, a face, a different face. You have to put on a facade, a mask, so that the world can love you. But according to the word, he was a man that broke down all the walls and the barriers and he broke back all the traditions and the culture and he went past it all and he said, I love you, though I know every single thing about you. And beloved, God loves you this morning, though he knows every single thing there is to know about you because he knows what's going on in your mind. And I can tell you what this morning, just like this woman at the well, he sees it all and he still says to you, I love you, brother and sister, amen? That's the God we serve. And because of her testimony, notice what happened in verse 39. Notice what the Bible says. And many, not some, but many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified. What did she testify? He told me all that ever I did, all my sins, and yet she still, he still loved me. In other words, this woman realized that she was fully known and yet fully Loved. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? Fully known and yet fully loved. Let's look at our next story. John chapter 8, a few chapters over. Verse 3. There's another woman in the Bible. A woman who was used by the church leadership to trap Jesus with. And the Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 8 of John, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. They had just taken and dragged this woman, probably naked except for a sheet, onto the streets. They had set her up so they could trap Jesus with this woman. And you don't notice how they want to trap Jesus. So they brought this woman, and she is still yet in sin. A woman taken adultery, and when they had set her in the midst of Jesus and all the whole, all the church congregation and all the members were there in the church leadership, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act, not just told about it, but we caught her and her lover and her cheating on her husband in the very act. Now Moses, Jesus, in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned, what do you say? So you want to test Jesus. If he really a prophet, he would follow Moses and Moses' law, right? But then they, they knew that if he was to kill her, then the Romans, they have no right to kill anyone in, under the Roman law, right? So he would actually be taken to prison and so forth. So anyway, they're trying to trap Jesus. And notice what it says in verse 6. No, what did Jesus do? The Bible says, This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down 
and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, what did Jesus do? He went down, and what did he do? He wrote where? What did he write? Now, where in the Bible is God seen writing with his what? Finger. Where? Very good, Ten Commandments. So here we have Jesus writing the Ten Commandments on the ground, right? The Ten Commandments. And then after he writes the Ten Commandments, what did he say to them? And when, so, when they lit, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. In other words, let the person out there who has not sinned be the first one to throw the stone at her to kill her. If you're not without sin. If without sin. And then the, the Bible says on, he continued on 8, and again he stooped down and wrote, on the ground, the Bible says. And what happened because he's writing the Ten Commandments and he challenged them if he without sin? Notice what happened in verse 9, the Bible says here. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So there you have it. Jesus and the adulterous woman was the last people remaining. The whole, the whole church had gathered. All the religious leaders that came to condemn this, this woman, caught in the very act of sin. And yet they all slipped away because they realized that they were all were guilty of sin themselves. Now, what did Jesus say to this woman? Verse 10 and 11. Jesus said, and when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amen? Amen. I want you to contrast the situation. The religious leaders have come, and they said to Jesus, and in front of the woman, they actually came to the woman, and they brought only condemnation to her. So all that the church leadership and the church members had for this woman was actually condemnation. Is that not true? Amen? That's clear. And the other contrast is that Jesus comes and the first thing he says is that I have no condemnation for you but love and acceptance. Do you see the contrast there? I also want you to notice that this woman was a sinning sinner. At this point in the story, she was not yet a repentant sinner, nor a confessing sinner, neither a reformed sinner. For she was a sinner caught in the very act, a sinner in sin, and not yet out of it yet. Now, Jesus didn't say, repent of your sins, and then I'll accept you and love you and not condemn you. Did he say that? Can you imagine what she must be thinking? Here's a man that knows everything about my disgraceful sin and has every right to condemn me, but yet he does not condemn me. And this non-condemning love melted her sin-hardened heart and it changed her life. It aroused within her a desire to love him because never a man loved her like before. Never a person revealed such compassion. Never a person shown such mercy before. 
And because her hard-hearted heart was softened with the beautiful love of Jesus on her heart, she was then able to go and sin no more. Amen? And as God's last day people, in these days we know that we're facing a time of trouble such as it never was before. And God's people need to realize and see the matchless charms of Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? We need to see His goodness and His love, His goodness that will bring us to repentance, right? The Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4. We need to see His love in such a beautiful way that we may perfectly reproduce His character of love for the final crisis, beloved. Amen? And that love which we behold will become transformed into, beloved. Amen? That loving, merciful, forgiving, kind-hearted, long-suffering, patient, loving type of God. What a God we serve, amen? And this woman realized for the first time in her life that though he had every right to condemn her, he would not. For the first time in her life, she had realized that she, although she was fully known, yet she was fully loved, amen? And that love changed her life to go and sin no more. Amen? Let's look at our last story. Turn to Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1 in your Bibles. Hosea chapter 1 in your Bibles. And it's after Daniel. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. There was a prophet of God, a man of God, who was a prophet, who was told by God to do an unusual thing. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. What did God ask Hosea to do? The Bible says Hosea, right after Ezekiel, Daniel, in your Old Testament, chapter 1 verse 2, before Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. This is a very unusual thing God asked someone to do in the Bible. It's very strange. But he said to him in verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto you a wife. Now, nothing's wrong with getting married, right? But notice what it says. Take unto you a wife of what? Whoredoms, a harlot. And children of whoredoms. For the land had committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So God asked Hosea, the, the prophet, to take upon him a woman who was a prostitute, who slept around. Can you imagine that? God asked him to marry this woman. Now, what did God ask Hosea and Gomer to name the third child? Look at chapter 1, verse 9. God said in verse 9, Call his name, your third son that you got, Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. In other words, Loami means not my people, representing that every single child that Hosea's wife Gomer, her name was Gomer, Gomer had was not from her husband. It was from her lovers. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your children, and that's not from you? Every single child was not from Hosea. Not only did he marry a woman who was cheating upon him and was a cheater and is a cheater, but every single child that she had was not from 
him, the prophet. Can you imagine what he was feeling? Do you know what it's like to have someone cheat on you? Do you know what it's like to be in a marriage where your spouse has been sleeping with someone else? You can only imagine because this is what Hosea went through. Can you, in a sense, feel his pain just a little bit maybe? The suffering that he must feel in his heart that his wife is not there? What happened next? So he, she's seeing all these men and who are whining and dining her. And notice what happened in verse chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Chapter 3, verse 1. What did he ask Hosea to do? The Bible says, Then said the Lord unto me, unto Hosea, Go yet, love a woman, be love of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. In other words, God told Hosea to go and search for Gomer. Look for your wife who's an adulteress. Look for this woman who's cheating you. Can you imagine what God was asking Hosea to do? For as he was searching for his wife, he started to remember, Hosea remembered all those lonely nights waiting up for his wife. Can you imagine? As he's looking for his wife, he remembered all those drawn-out vacations with her supposed girlfriends. He remembered all the times she, he remembered her returning in the morning with the smell of other men's cologne. Can you imagine? And he's looking for his wife. And where did he find his wife? And how did he get his wife back? Look at Hosea chapter 3, verse 2. Let's see the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 2, So I, Hosea, bought her. I bought my wife back to me for how much? 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. You know, that was the price of a, a maidservant at that time. You know, barley was a useless type of grain at that time, a cereal. A very use, very inexpensive, cheap kind of cereal at that time. It wasn't worth that much. It wasn't definitely worth her value as a wife. In other words, she had degraded herself. But once she was in a young flush of love, young flush of youth and, and joy and, and full of happiness, but going out into the world and searching for that happiness and being and wine and dine and giving gifts by many men, realized that none of these men were nowhere to be found. She had been used. She had looked like she's been abused for many years. She had lost her beauty. She had lost the inner spark and light of her eye. The joy and the happiness and the peace was no longer there. Can you imagine what she must have felt like when she realized that she was worth barely nothing and after many years of unfulfilled dreams was not even worth a few hundred dollars? Now, I want you to put yourself in Gomer's place. You are miserable and depressed as the decisions you have made in your life, you realize that you made many mistakes. You realize that the very thing that was most important to you, your children and your husband, is the very people you have let down. The last person you would expect to see was your husband. And at that moment, as you heard a familiar voice making that bid for you, can you imagine hearing a voice, what you thought was your husband, bidding for you to buy you back, when you never expect to see him, and you look back up, look up, and you open your eyes filled with tears, and you look, and you see 
the kind face of your husband that really loves you. It breaks your heart to see that. And although she knew that she was not worthy, although she knew that she had given him many sleepless nights, although she knew that all his children was from all other men, she knew that he loved her. Amen? And at that, that time, she realized that she was fully known by her husband and yet fully loved. Amen? What did Hosea ask Gomer to do? Look at verse 3. The Bible says, And I said to her, You shall abide for me many days. You shall not play the harlot. You shall not be for another man. So will I also be for you. Because he wanted to be faithful and to love each other, he had conditions. You must be faithful to me. You must be obedient. You must obey the laws that we have set up in this home and established. And because she had seen the love that her husband had revealed to her, her heart was softened. It was broken and humbled. And she was willing to be obedient to whatever conditions he had laid down, beloved. Amen? Whatever it may be. Obedient to the laws of that home. What did God compare Hosea's forgiving love to? Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Look at your Bibles, please. This is the parallel right here. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman, beloved of a friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. In other words, the love that Hosea showed to Gomer was the same love that God shows to apostate Israel. Amen? They have gone after other gods. They have searched for things that they thought would fulfill but never fulfilled them. And beloved, although we have been unfaithful to God, Beloved, many of us have maybe spiritually not committed. Maybe we have gone astray. Maybe we're not being obedient to what God asks us within His Word. We have not been growing and reflecting God's character of love. God wants us to remember the story of Hosea and Gomer. Though we've done all the things, God searches us out and He chases us when we least expect it. And we finally realize God's love and we will do whatever He asks us to do, beloved. Amen? We will go wherever He wants us to go. We will obey whatever He asks us to obey here in His Word, beloved. Amen? If we love Him. We will keep His commandments, beloved. Amen? We will be obedient. We will serve Him. We will obey the laws of God in our hearts, it'll be written in our lives, in our heart, on the inside, and it'll be reproduced on the outside. We will love our neighbors as ourselves. We will obey the golden rule. We will love others more than ourselves. We will be unselfish and kind and merciful as God is loving and kind and merciful to you this morning, beloved. You believe what I say? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? Because we serve a loving God. And beloved, this morning, do you believe in a God that knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you this morning, beloved. Amen? That's the God I serve. How about you? If you do, then is it time that you surrender your life to his love? 
so that you can be changed by it. I want to share with you a story. In Brazil, a true story, this is where John Carlos headed back to, actually. In Brazil, there was a young lady, 17, and she couldn't wait to get 18 because she wanted to go and, and experience the world. You know how that is, right? And have fun and excitement. And as she was thinking about that day, she made a plan. And then one day, her mother woke up, went into the room, and Christina wasn't there. She looked all over the place. She couldn't find Christina. So Maria, which is her mother, she searched frantically for her daughter because she knew that her daughter wanted to see the world. But she realized that one beautiful young lady like her, there's only one thing she could do in Rio, and that was be a prostitute. And she knows something about pride when you go out there and saying that I'm going to make it in this world, that pride kind of keeps you to do things you wouldn't normally do, right? And those of you know who, what, about Rio de Janeiro, you know that there's high population of prostitution in that city, right? And so, just, so, so she ran out, she got all her money she had, and she went into this booth. You know those photo booths that they take pictures? Do you know those picture booths? And she put all her money, coin after coin, and she took all these black and white pictures and cut it all up. And then she took all the pictures and she wrote a little note on the back of the picture. And then she went on a bus and spent her last penny getting a round-trip ticket. And then she drove into Rio and looking for a wife. And she went every place she think that a young prostitute would go. And so she went into um, the bathroom and put on a mirror. She posted her picture. She put in every crevice on the bulletin boards. And she put it on the phone booth and everything. Finally, her money had run out. And finally, she's leaving and she says one last prayer and tears running down her eyes for her precious daughter. She gets onto the bus ride home. A few weeks later, Christina's walking down the steps. At one time, she used to sleep on a simple crate she thought was, was so simple. She didn't want a bed. But after sleeping through so many unnumbered beds with so many men, she's walking down that steps and she's kind of depressed and discouraged. She's walking on, thinking that she want to go home, but she just don't have the courage. And it seems like home's just too far away. And she walks down those steps. She catches a glimpse of her mother in a picture. There was on that bulletin board, and she stumbles, and she walks across, and she, she goes to that picture, and she picks it up, and she looks at it, and then she flips it over. And then she reads the words, whatever you have done, whatever you become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And home she did. And beloved, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you currently are. God is asking you to come home. Amen? And when you come home to Jesus and you say, Lord, I want to fall away from home and I want to see your face, I want to see your goodness, that love will transform, it will change your life, and you will go to sin no more. Amen? This morning they're going to be singing a song, Lord, I'm coming home. Why don't you come home to Jesus at this scene? I'm going to make an appeal this morning. Maybe you want Jesus to come 
home into your hearts this morning. Maybe you wanted to fall away from him. You want to renew that love with him so that you may go and sin no more. Maybe you've been living a lifestyle that has been compromising. You feel like you want to come back and serve him with your heart. This call is also for you. Or maybe you've been faithful and you just want to recommit your life. I'm going to make an appeal for any of those things that you want to make a recommitment. This is a simple recommitment to come as you sing, Lord, I'm coming home. Why don't you come as you sing and come home?